Amen. Acts 2 and 38. I want to speak to you today on the subject of revival vision. Turn to somebody next to you say, revival vision. Revival vision. Book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The Bible says you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We are to repent. We are to be baptized and we are to let God fill us with his spirit. If you have never been baptized before, like Pastor said, we have a baptismal tank just for you today. We got robes. We got towels. What would stop you from getting baptized the right way today? If you'll go down in that water, God will wash away every sin that you have ever committed. It'd be the best decision you've ever made in your life. And I believe that God wants to fill every last person with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So before you leave at some point, you're going to throw your hands in the air and lift your voice in worship and God will fill you. I believe if you've never done it yet, today's the day. You're going to speak in tongues as the Spirit of the Lord moves over your heart and life. Thank you, Jesus. If you put your Bibles down and lift your hands to the Lord one more time today. Lord, we love you. We lift you up. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. I pray that you would anoint me, Lord, for the next few minutes, that you would minister to your people. Go beyond and do beyond what I could ever plan, do, or arrange. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Heal somebody. Feel somebody. Change somebody's life. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You may be seated. Thank you for standing and worshiping the Lord today. Amen. It feels so good in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Revival vision. I want to talk a little bit about revival vision. Amen. And as a premise, let me just give us some definitions. The, uh, if you were to look it up, as I did, in the most spiritual way possible by asking Brother Google, this is what vision means. Vision means it pulls up the Oxford Dictionary. And uh, vision really has two definitions, the first of which is your capacity to see. That is your eyesight. Uh, you go to the doctor, have your vision checked, right? We all understand that. But what I'm going to be predominantly speaking about today is more of our second definition of vision, and that is our ability to think about, to plan the future. It is our foresight. It is our capacity to see what could be beyond today. Is that okay? All right. Now, at some point, this is my belief, every person will need to get a vision from God. You need clear and profound, life-changing, earth-shattering vision from God for your spiritual walk. You need to believe that God is doing something in your tomorrow. You need to believe He has a plan. He has a will. He has a destiny. He has a desire. You need to believe for something bigger, greater, deeper, higher than you're in today. Amen. God wants to give vision to every last person. I believe that today. I want a vision for my walk with God. I want a vision for my ministry. I want a vision for my family. I want a vision for my church. I want a vision for my city. I want to be shaken by and defined by, motivated by, and possessed by a vision from the Lord. I want a vision so strong in our churches and in our ranks that if you were to inquire of 
any member of us, you would hear the same vision from us. The vision that you hear from the usher, from the greeter, from the Sunday school teacher, from the youth leader ought to be the same vision from the pastor. It ought to be a vision of revival, a vision of miracles, signs, and wonders. It ought to be a vision of growth. Come on, somebody. If you don't have that vision, catch that vision today. We're not staying where we're at. Come on, church. This is not as good as it gets. I Don't get me wrong. It's lovely. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. But God has a vision even greater. Vision is nothing that should be new to us. The secular sphere, I would ask that question, what dentist, lawyer, doctor, businessman have you looked at and thought, wow, they got there on accident. They rolled out of bed one day and somebody handed them the keys to a clinic. They gave them a briefcase and said, go meet the judge today. No, you recognize that at some point they had a significant vocational vision and they sacrificed hundreds and thousands of hours of dollars. They sacrificed years to become who they wanted to be one day. And there ought to be such a vision in the church that it motivates us to spend our hours, our days, our energy, our effort, our time, our finances, that we might become something bigger, greater, stronger than we are today. Begs the question of a Christian. What is the vision spiritually that we could be so given to as others are given to visions for their own earnings, visions of their own careers, and etc.? What is our spiritual vision? What preoccupation of my spirit do I have that I'm so fixated on that it's become the focus of my every effort? My every hope, my every dream, my every ambition. What do I talk about in my home? What do we plan for and dream about and speak of night and day? What spiritual aim is it that we set ourselves on that we are gladly sacrificing all that we are to obtain? Friend, we must have and possess and be defined by a vision. What would we live for? What would we die for? What is the goal that we will accept nothing less than? There has to be a vision. Uh, Jesus offered a vision to his disciples. He was teaching them to develop this in John 4 and 35. In red letters you may have it. He said this, say not ye. There are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, already to harvest. I don't really know who is in his audience, but I would speculate that if he said that, he had people that weren't looking at the field, and they had no recognition that there was a harvest before them, or else he would not have said the statement. And so in that short statement, he deals with every other 
competing ideology. You might have your eyes here where I live, what I'm going through, what my problems are. And he says, no, lift up your eyes. There is a harvest. Get a vision that's bigger than you. That's bigger than where you live. That's bigger than what you can do. That's bigger than your ability. That's bigger than your sin. That's bigger than your problem. Get a vision, somebody. It was so pressing, so urgent, so serious. Open your eyes. You know his whole audience had their eyes open. <laughs> Lift them up and look. He tries to wake him up. He gives persuasion, compels them. It's urgent. It's serious. Get a vision. Get a vision. It, it's almost like in that one sentence, he just couldn't, he couldn't get them to connect the dots. Don't you understand why I live the way I do? Don't you understand why I do what I do? Why I came to this earth while I'll die on this earth? I am possessed with a vision of reaching and saving and helping and restoring every last one of you. And if you call yourself a follower of me, me, you have got to catch what I'm infected with. You've got to get this vision. You've got to live as I live. Think as I think and see as I see. What if we had a vision for this church and a vision for this city? As I looked over the demographics this morning, this is what, again, Brother Google told me. That Atlanta had a 2020 population of 514,000 people in the close-knit area here. But the greater metro vicinity is 5.6 million souls. Making it the ninth largest city area in the United States. Poverty rate is high as 20%, which is startlingly high. It was home to one of the largest LGBT populations per capita, 4.2%. The second largest majority black metro area in the country... It's projected that Metro Atlanta's population can reach over 8 million in just a few years. It is more diverse in Atlanta than over the entire United States national averages. With the African American population just shy, just shy of 50%, whites at 40, Asian 4.8, two or more races, three and change, other races, Native American, Pacific Islanders, there's a whole list, incredibly diverse. When I hear numbers like that, how can I not look out the window and get a vision for revival? How can there be a half million people in my backyard and not see a thousand saved in a year? How can there be 5.6 million and us not have daughter works and daughter works and daughter works and daughter works? So that scripture screams at me like it must have at them. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they're white. All ready to harvest braid and lift up your eyes and look. Get out of your busyness. Get out of your money making. Get out of your schemes. Get out of your identity. Get out of your rut. Get out of your routine. Get out of your traditions and look at my field. Catch my vision. I, I uh, want to expedite this next little bit here, but there is a passage in 2 Kings chapter 6 and one in Genesis 28 where there are two different visions in Scripture. And, the, and uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, Elisha 
the prophet, the man of God, he's there with his servant, and he gets surrounded by an, ar an adverse ar army, uh, chariots, horses, all kinds of scary, and the servant starts freaking out. And he says, what are we supposed to do, master? We're surrounded on every side. Elisha says, no, no. You don't understand. And he prays, Lord, open his eyes. And as he prays, Lord, open his eyes, all of a sudden the servant standing with the preacher looks up. And the soldiers didn't go nowhere. But he can now see the host of heaven that surrounds Elisha. There are a more for them now than against them. Now it's clear. God was always in this. He was always with us. He was always working. I just didn't have the vision so I read that and it stands out to me of what God was showing the servant wasn't what could surround you what could help you God just opened his eyes so he could see what God is already doing and it made me think we sit in the midst of an unjust world we sit in the middle of problems and persecutions and sin we feel small we feel defeated we feel persecuted we think we're outnumbered we think we can't do it but God God says if you could ever catch my vision I'm already with you I'm already doing it I'm already bringing revival I'm already bringing a multitude I'm already working on them speaking to them preparing a way changing the circumstance you just need to see what I see Genesis 28, Jacob had a vision. He goes to bed on a rock. Dude could sleep anywhere. He probably has sleep apnea. He lays down on a rock, goes to sleep. As he goes to sleep, he sees angels ascending and descending. God wasn't showing Jacob what could be. These angels could surround you. He unlocked him to be able to see what God's already doing in his midst. What am I trying to say? If you knew what God was doing today, I am telling you every fear would be gone. Every doubt would be dead. Every despair would be dismissed you would know without a shadow of a doubt that God can God will God's able yeah Come on, somebody, it's not theoretical, it's actual. It's not something that might be coming, it's here. It's not something God can do, he is doing. He's already working. He's already to the north of us, the south of us, the east of us, the west of us. He's waking somebody up with a dream tonight. He's giving somebody a daytime vision today. He's convicting somebody now. Come on, he's moving. I felt so impressed to share my just bizarre inner workings of my mind, this illustration. I couldn't get out of my head. I, I had at one point preached on this other uh, painting. And so I think about it all the time. I would love to see it one day. But it's called the Salvador Mundi. Has anybody heard of that weird one? Salvador Mundi was a lost work of Leonardo da Vinci. And they found it like years later and attributed it to him. Most expensive painting ever sold. Like we're talking like a lot of money. Like half a billion or something crazy. And it's on display in like Dubai. It's a picture of Christ. 
that he painted holding a crystal orb like representing the world in his hand. But anyways, I, I think of that picture and at some point when Leonardo da Vinci sat down to create that picture, he sat at entirely blank, an entirely worthless canvas with nothing on it. And he took an unimpressive, near worthless paintbrush and he took unimpressive and a near worthless single color of paint and he placed a single brush stroke on that canvas. Somebody say, well, I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody, I've not been to Bible school, I'm not a preacher, I can't make a difference, I can't teach a Bible, so I can't do this, I can't do that. Leonardo da Vinci did not wake up to a masterpiece. It started worthless with a single brush stroke. It was his job to have the faith to stand at the canvas and continue painting. And somewhere along the line between the first and the thousandth of the brush strokes, it becomes a masterpiece. God is not asking you to be your pastor. He's not asking you to be me or any other preacher you may see. He's asking you to simply stand at the canvas and to take what you have and do something with it for the Lord. There's not a one of us that can't start somewhere. Not a one of us that can't invite one person. Not a one of us that can't take somebody out to coffee give somebody a ride to church come on somebody you can do something and somewhere between where you start where God will take it will blow your mind that picture ended up like I said being the most valuable painting ever sold in the history of mankind you know but this when we talk about the church it is not our painting it's God's God has an agenda and a goal and a vision all he needs are some painters at the canvas that'll give them all that they have and if you'll stand there God will take control and the little bit that you put in he'll anoint and he'll direct and the end of which will be a revival unlike one that we have ever seen in this place before God's agenda is to grow the church God's agenda is to heal the brokenhearted. Come on, somebody. His agenda is to deliver and to save and to give victory. We are just the middleman of God's word. That's okay if you didn't go to Bible school. I didn't either. That's okay if you weren't raised in church. I wasn't either. It's okay if you're a nobody from nowhere. Me too. Elijah too. Sid Peter too. Kind of Paul too. In fact, all of them too. That's okay. It's okay to stand at the canvas, not really know where you're going, but just start somewhere. Every family member is going to start lost. Come on, every healing starts with a sickness. Come on, every blessing starts with a problem. It's okay. You just get to painting. You just get a vision. You just get to believing, and God will do the rest. I have to tell this story in as many places as I can because it, is, it, it showcases my lack of spirituality. But uh, one of the churches which enlarged my vision the most uh, was a church in Indiana, actually. And it was a pastor who had just this craziest idea. And he, 
involve me in it. So I get a call one day, and he says, Brother, uh, you don't know me, I don't know you, but I feel impressed that we need to do a tent revival out in Indiana. Is there any chance that you would come out and be involved? Because I was praying about who to have, and I went through the evangelist directory, and I prayed over the names, and when I saw your name, I felt like you're the one that's supposed to come and preach this tent revival. And I said back to him, I said, man, you didn't pray over those names. You're just being lazy. My last name's Anderson. I'm at the top of the list. And you stopped right there. I said, no, no, no. I want you to come preach this tent revival. So I went out. He said, have you ever preached one? I said, man, has anybody in my generation ever preached one? Like, what are you talking about? But I'll do it. And so we went out and we had tent revival. Man, tent revival, the weirdest thing you've ever done in your life. Open air, it hot, hot, like Georgia hot, like Hotlanta hot. We had makeshift plywood platform that's bowing every which way as we jump on it. Platform swaying in the wind, bugs landing on you, kids dancing, the altar dust all over the place, my shoes beyond repair. I mean, it, it's a deal. And, and, uh, but tent revival is weird. We get to preach in that first service or second service. And, and I realize this is, uh, it might not look like church as I'm used to, but God had a vision here and it's bigger than mine. As I got to preach in one of those services, it wasn't 10 minutes into the service, a lady stood up, crazy lady stood up on that side. And she said, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. And in the middle of my sermon, they took her up. And baptize her in Jesus' name. But as she went, another followed and another followed and another followed. We baptized 11 people before we even had an altar call. Man, that started messing my mind. So we didn't really need the air conditioning. We didn't really need the lights. We didn't really need the fancy and the presentation. Again, all of which I love. Calm down. That's not what I mean. We ought to do it. It's great. On and on. But at the end of the day, isn't this really just, I'm the Uber driver getting you to Jesus. And if I could ever get you there, he does the rest. God challenged my vision. So we had, he called us back for the next event that they were doing, and, and uh, we, we get set up on his land, which is a really long rectangular strip of land. I, if I remember the number right, it's 11 acres long. And we're on one side setting up for the event, and he asked me, he says, uh, Brother, can I uh, borrow your car keys? I said, yeah, sure. Uh, what are we doing? What do you need it for? And he basically says, I'm going to take your car, and I'm going to park it at the end of where I want people to finish parking, because it's a it's not a parking lot, it's a field, so they're not going to know unless we mark it with the car where they're supposed to line up, and that'll be the end of the line. Hey, okay, whatever. So we hop in, and he's driving, and the dude keeps driving, and he keeps driving, and he just keeps driving. And I, eventually, I'm like, bro, you drove us like 11 acres away. Man, we got to walk back, and it's like 400 degrees outside. He's like, bro, it's going to mark the end of where they're going to line up. Sure enough, we go to start that event, and I look out at that parking lot, and my car 
was the last in the lineup of two rows of cars that stretched the entire distance of that property. And we had one over 1,000 first-time guests at that event. They just... They just had this year's one and this year that over 4,000 first-time guests on that land. All of a sudden, 11 acres is not going to fit what God is trying to do on it. You know, I wonder what would happen if somebody got a vision in this place that's bigger than what we've seen before. Bigger than how we did it last time. Bigger than, come on, you know what I'm talking about? I'm saying where we got to bring in our robes from our house from how many we're going to baptize here because the church doesn't have enough I'm talking about we got to bring in you know what I'm saying where it's going to take a few hours to get through them I'm talking about where we're going to pray with so many people up here that we need to buy stock and Kleenex you know what I'm saying I want vision bigger than what I've seen bigger than what I've done because I want revival bigger than what I've seen and revival bigger than what we've had So I love in Acts 9 this vision that Ananias gets. And this is like a literal spiritual vision. I mean, God like appears to him and says, uh, I'm going to summarize. Dude, you're going to Tarsus. Uh, you're, or you're going to go find Saul of Tarsus. Uh, he needs to get the Holy Ghost. And Ananias is like, Lord, Saul, like, are you serious? He's a bad dude. Like, he'll kill me. And God's like, Go. <laughs> Ananias in Acts 9 it's starting in uh, let's see where we're at here 17 in Acts 9 and 17 Ananias went his way and he entered into the house putting his hands on him and he said brother Saul the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee as the way that you came he sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost and immediately there fell from his eyes scales. He received his sight, arose, and was baptized. If I was Ananias, my temptation would be when I get to the door, I knock, and if you've door knocked, you know what this is. You knock, and you take like four steps back because they might an answer with a machete. And when they get there, you say, I'm so, this is when I got started, right? I'm so sorry for disrupting you, sir. That's what I would have done. Master Saul, if I'm not missing it, did you by chance happen to have some sort of vision or be expecting someone today? <laughs> if not, that's cool, I'll go. But Ananias got to the door. There's no hello. He didn't address him as a Pharisee, as a general, as a leader. Uh, come on. He didn't address him with military terms or respect terms. When the door opens, he says, Brother Saul. Like it's done. God is going to heal you now. He's going to fill you now. I have had a vision and it's the hour and the moment. And God did. Healed him, his eyes, his vision, filled him with the Holy Ghost. He was baptized. And he's preaching just a few verses later. The sad truth 
is that if we can't find a vision for revival, hell sure can. Hell has a vision to reach every last family. It has a vision to disrupt every marriage. It has a vision to entrench every last soul in sin, to capture people in anxieties and depressions and confusions. Hell has a vision to infiltrate the church, and it would love even to reduce us to being dry and dead and bodies sitting of pew warmers, to be apathetic Christians that really have no power with God, and we have no growth, we have no anointing, we don't have signs, wonders, and miracles. He wants us to be comfortable while entirely devoid of revival. He wants us only to be trained for routine and for tradition But be blinded of any vision to do more Or to reach for more Or to go deeper Or to touch God But if you could see The vision God has for the church, for your family, for every lost loved one, for every friend, every co-worker, every classmate. If you saw God's building plan for this sanctuary and this campus, if you saw what God had coming down the road for Atlanta, friend, I'm telling you, there is revival. If there really are 5.6 million people in this greater area, do you have any idea how many are ready right now? Right now. If 1% were ready, not even that, if half of 1% were ready, we will need the space and capacity for thousands, thousands, thousands. I believe there's low-hanging fruit all over the city all over our workplaces, all over our schools. I believe there are some ready for healing now, ready to be filled now, ready to be baptized now. I remember when I went through that point that I was asking people how to get baptized and where I need to go and who could do it. I wanted it, and the first one who would have got to me would have had me at that time. I'm telling you, you already know some of them. They cover it up well and conceal it, but they go home at night and lay their head on the pillow and know that they are totally and helpless Hopelessly lost. They're waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. Somebody to tell them where to go. And you have the answer. I want a vision for revival. Paul had a vision that resulted in the church of Rome. Peter and John had a vision when they walked by a beggar and said, I don't have silver or gold, but I see something Jesus can do for you right now. Peter had a vision when he entered into an Italian Roman soldier's home, a race God had never reached, a people that had just put Jesus on the cross, and he began to preach to them and see them all filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. Philip had a vision when he was going down the road and heard a eunuch sitting in a chariot and he hopped in and said bro I'll tell you what you're reading about it's Jesus and they went down and baptized him in Jesus name. God has a vision for you today. It's bigger than where you live at now. It's bigger than what you've ever done before. It's bigger than what we've seen. God has a vision. Luke 14 and verse 16. A certain man made a great supper and he called many. It's a parable. And the servants of the father go out and tell the city, come for everything's ready. Some people start making excuses by verse 21. The servant comes and shows the Lord these things. And the master of the house Bible says, 
being angry. You'd think he'd be content, like, man, you tried. You went, you invited some people. Good job. Pat on the back. Let's have some chicken. Master the house being angry. You know, I see, I see him sitting at the head of the table and begin to grip, begin to grip that chair. You don't understand. We're not having this meal until there's more people here. Master the house being angry, he said to the servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and you bring in here the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. You can't even pick the ones that you get to exclude. Bring them all. That's the second time he sent him out. So then the servant says, Lord, it's done like you commanded. And yet there is room. This is where we arrive today. This is a church. I already know. I can feel it. I would invite any soul. I would invite every one of my family members, friends. I'd invite anybody here. We don't care if you're red, yellow, black, or white. We don't care if you smell like cigarettes or alcohol. We don't care what you're hooked on. We don't care what you've done. I don't care if you killed somebody. Come on. So, hey. I don't care if you speak Russian. I don't care if you speak Finnish, Danish. Come on. This is where we're at. So if God came in here today, what would he say to us? I don't think he'd be angry. We're at where we need to be. We're not overlooking anybody. But the servant said, Lord, it's done as you've commanded, and yet there is room. I'm just calling it out like it is. One chair, room, two chairs. That's three, room, two more. I see a stretch of five. I see two. I see four. There's room. Not much, but there's room. This is what God would do today. This was his third time to them. The Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in that my house may be Field. I want you to see God's vision today. If I could open your eyes like a light switch, I would right now. God's vision is that when he comes to the feast, everybody's there. Your mom is there. Your dad is there. Your siblings are there. Your kids are there. Your grandkids are there. The homeless are there. The rich are there. The government is there. Our co-workers, classmates, they're all there. Every race, every tongue, Every tribe, every language, they're all there. And until the house is filled, we're not going to stop. I have a just deeply troubling burden and vision for revival. One time I had to, I actually, I... Um, eat doctors like self-diagnose all the time, right? So you stub your toe and you're like, no, it's not, it's not normal. It's totally a bronchia. It's abscessing. I'm going to cut it open. I'm just going to cut it open. I'm not going to wait for this to get, I need antibiotics too. And so, <laughs> so I literally, my mind is so fixated on this that at points I've wondered if I'm like, am I like manic or schizo or like, am I, should, seriously, should I see somebody? I cannot stop thinking about revival. And I stopped my wife one day and I said, babe, you honestly tell me, honestly tell me, what do you think about during the day? I, there was a time I thought about work. There was a time I thought about school. There's a time I thought about girls. High school, remember that? That was fun. <laughs> uh, where I'm at now, all day long, 
I think about revive all day long. I think about another strategy, another outreach, another plan, how to refine it, how to hone it. I'll call churches that I've been to the last six months ago and say, how's it going? How can I help? How can we see more? I am fixated on the idea of revival. I have a vision. I have a vision. Man, this so crazy tent revival pastor who just texted me. Uh, who, he, he, man, he got in my head and he said this one sentence that just ruined me. He said, bro, we've had you preach. And he's like, you're all right. But <laughs> when you're in that tent, he's like, it's like you were born for that. He's like, bro, when you're on the street, you're working for, with somebody new, you're praying with somebody at the altar, you're in that tent, it's like you were born for that. He's like, you have got to run with it, and you got to take it wherever anybody will have you. And I'm like, that just messed me up. So I bought a tent. <laughs> I bought a tent that seats 250 people. It's a 40 by 100 and as I'm buying that tent, which was an ordeal, I, I'm praying and I'm like, God, you know, is this, am I just, you know, getting too excited again and I should scale it back? And as I'm praying about it, all of a sudden this number hits me in my head. A thousand, a thousand, a thousand. I sat down and I was telling it to another pastor. This is what I'm doing. He looked me right in the face and he said, Brother Anderson, 10 of 250. One tent, 250, that's your story. He said, that is absolutely not big enough for what God is going to do. And there's that number in the back of my head again. A thousand, a thousand. So I called a tent company and I said, I don't know if anybody's ever put in an order for this, but I am going to have a 1,000 soul revival in a tent and I need a second tent and it needs to be a lot bigger. So I've just bought a 1,300 person tent. It's almost 10,000 square feet And I am believing That God is going to give us A thousand soul revival Friend I don't know what your vision is It doesn't need to look like mine But I want it to be bigger I want you to believe God could do more And higher and deeper God is continuing to enlarge just my faith and my vision. We were, we were in one service, and uh, in, in one service we were in, we, we had done outreach. This individual didn't come from our in-person outreach. We had ran some Facebook ads, and he reached out back on Facebook, and I was messaging back and forth with him, and he asked, do we have a, uh, uh, ASL sign language interpreter? And I said, yeah, we, I asked, and they said yes, and I'm good. Uh, and so I said, yeah, man, come on. And so he came, and he came, and he was blind in one eye and deaf in both ears from birth. So that whole service, he sat over on this side, that whole service, he had to get the message through the sign language interpreter through really one eye. And he, from that experience... He had enough faith and enough hunger that he raised his hands and indicated he wanted to be baptized. He came over, he was baptized in Jesus' name. And they called me after we had left. And they said, bro, remember you prayed for that guy and all that stuff? And said, yeah. And they said, by the time he made it to his home at night, God opened his ears and he could hear for the very first time in his life. Friend, what is your vision of what God could do? I see the text now. It says, to baptize today. Awesome. Uh, we were in 
church. And this pastor had told me a few months before, I love, I love this story. This is, this is God stuff. He had told me a few months before he called me, he said, man, I'm going crazy over this lady that is driving me up the wall. I'm like, what's she doing, man? Who is she? He said, she never even been to the church, but she decided to get online and just trash us. So she's leaving like Yelp reviews and Facebook and all over Google and all this. She never even been there. She's telling everybody that I am some crazy pro-vaccine guy and I'm paying people $100 to get the vaccine through the church. He's like, you know me. You know I don't have $100. <laughs> she ain't never even been here, man. And for months, she was slandering the church for no reason. Never met him. He never did anything wrong to her. And uh, anyways, as time would go on, he, he called later, said, it's been a little while. We haven't had anybody get the Holy Ghost. Could you come and have a special? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. So we come, and we're having a, a Holy Ghost crusade service. And people come up front, and they're getting the Holy Ghost. And uh, of all the ones he wanted to get the Holy Ghost, I think he told me they all got it. But what I was the most impressed with is somehow, that queen bee comes through the back doors of the church and marches herself up front and God fills her with the Holy Ghost. Man, I, I want vision for God to just do wild stuff. Man, we were in one service in, in a crazy tent and we just had this bizarre idea that we were going to pray for healing. And we set out chairs and uh, flipped them around backwards, like would be facing you, set them out across the front, and just a few. And we said, we're going to set these chairs out. Don't nobody come up here for headache or back pain. You go take some Excedrin. If, <laughs> if you have a real legitimate significant problem in your body, we want you to come sit up in these chairs, and we're going to come down the line me, pastor, everybody, we're going to pray for you. And only if you feel certain that God has healed you can you stand out of that chair and make space for somebody else to sit down. We went to that first person. I remember that pastor laid hands on that first person, an elderly gentleman. And he shot up onto his feet and took off screaming and running around that tent. And as he went, and the pastor went down the line and prayed for every single person. All of those chairs were emptied out one by one by one by one. Friend, we have got to enlarge what we believe that God can do. It's for everybody. We baptize people. I baptize people that were so drunk. I am not sure if this baptism counts. I'm not even sure if you're making this choice right now. I did it, I did it twice. But you said yes. And I would rather just give it a shot. And if we need to repeat it later, cool. And I'm telling you, man, we have had people drunk as a skunk, can't even hardly talk, but yes and no, go down in that water and come up instantly sober and entirely delivered from alcoholism in a moment. We've seen heroin addicts delivered. We've seen smokers that left their cigarettes on the altar and walked out and never had another craving again.
And I baptize, man, I baptize nurse practitioners. I've invited my patients to come out to crusades that are by their homes and stuff like that and we've prayed patients through the Holy Ghost I brought hospital administrators to church with me in one of these services recently we had three doctors there that we had invited I'm believing and having a vision of a revival unlike one that we have ever seen before I want it in every home I want it in every city I want it in every church and I want it in every life I truly believe this is the greatest era that we have ever seen or lived in I told this before and I'll say it again in over 15 years of outreach based ministering I have never seen as much effectiveness as we are seeing now I'm telling you I see it in the north I see it in the south I see it on the west coast and the east coast God is doing something now if you stand together with me I want a vision somebody say that I want a vision why not here and why not now why not here and why not now? So I, 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 it would take way too long. I won't give the whole thing. Don't worry. Had a timer, so I'm watching it, and I know. When um, my son's in service, I'll often be like, dude, if you get bored, just stand up and tell me. Because I know you guys are nice, but he's not. And so he'll just shut it down. <laughs> I didn't get the privilege being raised in this. I, I had a great upbringing. I'm glad that I was raised by people that believed in God and had semblance of morality. Prevented me from doing a lot of bad choices. But I would go to bed at night. And though I was wealthy beyond all reason. I mean, we had everything we needed, wanted, and some. I would go to bed at night and know that I am hopelessly lost I despised even myself I hated who I was I hated how I acted I hated that every time I tried to break chains of sin I couldn't and I would run back to the same things I, I hated what came out of my mouth I hated what ran through my mind I hated it and I wanted to be saved Everywhere that I went and I tried, I couldn't find this God of the Bible. Everybody told, retold these stories of healing, the blind seeing again and the deaf hearing again. And he was entirely absent. Where are you, God? I went to every single church in my city, every single church except one. And finally, I gave that last church a try. And I was telling pastor as I walked into that room, they hadn't even begun the service, and I walked past the open door of the prayer room. I felt more of the glory of God than I had ever felt in my life. Every hair in my body stood on end. I felt presence. I felt power. I felt a weightiness. That's why we use that word glory, kavah, the weightiness in the atmosphere. So as a blanket's been pulled over you, as the Spirit of the Lord's descending into the room, I felt the glory of God. And as we began to worship, I realized I had arrived at everything I'd ever needed. I found the answer to the hole in my heart and the void in my soul. I remember the day I got baptized in Jesus' name. And I remember the day 
And I lifted my hands and I just began to worship. And God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And I began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gave me the words. I remember how powerful that was. But friend, if, if you were raised in church and you're used to this and this is the norm for you, that's cool. But hear me, you don't understand what that other side of the fence feels like. And if you understood, you would realize how agonizing and painful it is. You would realize how hungry we are and how much we want this. And we would beg, plead, pay for you to come and tell us where to go and what to do. I want you to have a vision of little dudes like me out across this city. I knew how to look tough on the outside and make it look like I wasn't cracked and broken. But man, I would cry myself to bed at night sometimes knowing, man, I could accept Jesus 400 times, but I know I'm not changed. You don't know how many there are right now. They're all around you. Jesus said, you've got to wake up, lift up your eyes and look. It is white and it's ready.